Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello. Actual people, this is exciting. A live version of the format. Hope everyone's good. Um, I feel like we should do the like normal intro voices. Okay. I feel like I should go like, hello. <laughs> Someone told me I sound like a middle-aged mum doing that, which is just, that's who I am. I have to embrace that. Yeah. Really. But anyway, if anyone is here who has never listened to our podcast before, my name's Caroline. And I'm Anna. And together we do the Seriously podcast, where we take pop culture seriously. It's that yeah. simple basically uh i feel like everyone here has probably heard it otherwise you're kind of mad for buying a ticket to this thing that it's just like a, some you know i don't know a complete mystery to you but yeah we every week we do um two kind of topical culture reviews pop culture reviews and one like not so topical recommend and it's always great fun and we've been doing it for quite a while yeah we've two years and 110 episodes uh 110 <laughs> it's a lot what's that in podcast years i feel quite old a lot yeah yeah but yeah, we, we take stuff seriously. That's really what we're all about. A good illustration of that is the very first episode we ever did. We read Grey by E.L. James. Yeah, the like Fifty Shades of Grey spin-off from Christian Grey's perspective, which was very weird. I actually only read half of it. It's yeah. a lie to say um, that I read the whole thing. But I did try really hard and read half of it and try to take it very seriously. We watched a documentary about Amy Winehouse and we listened to a lot of One Direction. So that gives yeah. you a sense of the kinds of things we're willing to take seriously and apply a proper critical lens to things that maybe don't always necessarily get that treatment deservedly or undeservedly so yeah uh and it's been great fun and then we've done lots of specials so we've done specials on like harry potter love actually friends loads of things and then last week we did um like an ask us anything special where people emailed in with questions um and one question we really liked from our friend Laura, who's been on the show and has done show, and I'm sure she's here somewhere. Um, and yeah, she asked us to talk about problematic, your fave is problematic culture. And we did a little on that, didn't we? Yeah, and we got a really interesting response to it. So we decided off the back of that, that this would be a good topic to give greater treatment and also a good one to do in front of an audience where you guys can contribute, tell us things, tell us who your problematic faves are, that kind of thing. So stand by for a very serious dissection of your problematic faves. Yeah, we thought we'd like maybe think a little bit less about your favourite problematic culture and a bit more about your actual problematic faves themselves. Mm. Who are they? What do they want? How can they be stopped? Etc. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that. 
Um, so, yeah, we should probably start by actually talking about what a problematic fave is. Okay. Does anyone not know what a problematic fave is? is Everyone seems pretty confident. So I feel like a problematic fave is a celebrity that you really love or like that you, society loves in some way. I feel like celebrity implies celebrated, yeah. etc. A celebrity artist, a maker, a, you know, a film director, an actor, a musician, those are the, the normal category, yeah. Yeah. But and politicians creep into it sometimes as well, I think. Do you think so? Ed Miliband? Ed Miliband. Is he a problematic fave? <laughs> I think he's just a fave at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Hillary Clinton often appears on lists oh, and this kind of stuff. I couldn't that. even begin to go into Hillary Clinton territory today. Yeah, that's, that's not why we're here. Um, we, let's not do <laughs> that. Other podcasts are available if that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, no. We're, <laughs> we're, we're here f- for the filmmakers... The artists, yeah. the musicians, the authors. Do we have an author? I can't remember. We have some authors. We have some I think. authors. Yeah. I think the thing is that the the problematic element is like they've either got a belief or they do something or they make something that is offensive in some way or that people might find offensive. Yeah, and it often comes from people who, up until that point, you've associated with generally progressive beliefs or they've shown a strong interest in social justice or they've generally had a career up to that point that you've approved of in some way and then they do something or something happens that makes you re sort of reanalyze their whole career up to that point <laughs> that's when the knife really yeah that's when the <laughs> knife really hits and you go actually maybe i've been wrong this whole time to hold you in any kind of esteem yeah and i think we now have way more than ever before obviously because internet uh, and so you get a much like broader sense of the people behind celebrities. And also, once people. anything, any kind of controversy kicks off, a celebrity no longer can hide behind their publicist and just wait for it all to go away. They have direct access to their fan base via Twitter or Instagram or their own website, and they are able to make it all a lot worse. Totally. There's also just something in the in the way that people talk about with politics how you know the demand for 24-hour news just means people politicians just have to say stuff all the time that's true of potential faves as well right that Mm -hmm. the demand for them to produce content is that much greater yeah and the burden on them to be woke yeah that's true um so yeah but we do i think we don't want to like get too like we do take this seriously as with everything i think it can be really, really sad when someone you really, really like really disappoints you. I don't know if anyone's had that experience here where you've had like an artist or someone that you've absolutely loved and then they like say something and you're like, oh, oh that really hurts me and make, just makes me feel weird because, you know, I really idolised you in some way. So we were going to talk a little bit about the first time <laughs> that that happened to us because it was so sad yeah. and it stuck with us, didn't it? Do you have... Do you have one that you want to lead with, Caroline? Yep, yeah, okay. And there, are, sev- <laughs> there are several embarrassing elements packed into this. Um, I trust you all not to, space, to judge guys. me. Come not on. to judge me. But as uh, in my early teens, probably 12, 13, 14, I was obsessed with a series of science fiction fantasy books by the author David Eddings. I don't know if anyone here has ever read them. They're called the Belgariad or something equally ner- nerdy like that. Anyone? No, no just me. One. Just Not me. One. <laughs> they had a big fan base in America. And, uh, you know, in the 90s, I'd say David Eddings had a profile getting towards that that like George R. R. Martin has. He had that kind of status. And he, you know, I used to see pictures and stuff of him doing massive signings. And he was a big deal. And it was his name on all the books. He did 10 books, <laughs> series finished. And then 
possibly out of devotion to his fans, possibly to try and milk a bit more money out of a franchise. He did a few of those kind of companion volumes that you often get with sort of world building type franchises. And suddenly, he, it wasn't just his name. It didn't just say David Eddings. It said David and Lee Eddings. I was like, who is this other person? And then you read the introduction to one of the volumes, and he explains that Lee is his wife, who he fulsomely praises in this introduction for her role in bringing the series into being and how she's always been so instrumental and he couldn't have done it without her and that's why he's now belatedly recognising her in these lesser volumes that far fewer people would read with a co-author credit and that was the first time I thought oh this guy not so much yeah I love the idea of like tiny how old were you probably about 13 yeah like pre-teen Caroline having the realisation that like women's uncredited labour is a thing yeah. oh that's so sad <laughs> that, yeah and especially because in this in this introduction he made it very clear that her contribution had been major and had continued throughout the series more than just like thank you for supporting our family yeah and it wasn't and like looking that after the children it while wasn't I write these novels like it was like, yeah, she, she co-created this with me, but I'm only now allowing her to have her name on the front of the book. That's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had like so many problematic faves as a teenager that I actually just don't think I was really aware of how problematic... Like, I loved the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger was my idol. I look back and I'm like, hmm, skeezy, not great. But like <laughs> me at the time would have just been like, no, that's not, he's never done anything wrong. What are you talking about? I like, wouldn't have been able to deal with it. So my first realisations of like people being problematic was was like when I got to uni I think um, and I studied English and I was like reading about writers that I really liked and I remember reading in some sort of weird dusty book about um, Gladstone and Tennyson the poet having an argument at a dinner table where Tennyson was just coming out like with full-on like racist slurs constantly and Gladstone was trying to like beat him back a bit and be like no we have to like talk about like other races as though they're human that's an important thing and Tennyson would just be like no uh, and use loads of slurs so I was a bit like oh Tennyson I thought you were like a nice poet who wrote about how sad it is when people die but apparently you're like awful um, and then I also had the same thing with Virginia Woolf because uh, I love Virginia Woolf or I really loved her, her books at the time and uh, I read one of her diary entries I'm sure some people might have come across this I think it was like January 1915 or something and she goes on a walk and she walks past all these like mentally disabled people and she's like oh I saw this long line of imbeciles which I think is a quite a common word at that time but whatever and then she says I wish that they were all killed they should all be killed and I took it to my tutor at the time and was like, whoa, this seems like, this is just like Nazi shit. And my tutor at the time was like, mm-hmm. And I was like, so what do we do, what do, we do with this? Uh, she was a great tutor. Her name's Hermione Lee. Some of you might have read some of her books. She was really, really great. And I was like, Hermione, like, tell me how to feel about this, please. Like, what do I do? Can I still enjoy Mrs. Dalloway, knowing that she felt like this about people who were differently mentally ill to the way she was? And she was like, I don't know, babe, like, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> this is what we're all trying to deal with all the time. And I was like, oh, God, so you're not going to, like, give me an answer to this? And she was like, I actually can't. You have to decide for yourself. Uh, and that was when the world of the problematic fave opened before me, mm-hmm. a terrible uh, and confusing cavern that it is. So some pretty dark first experiences there with the problematic fave. Yeah, so having shared our early stories, we thought we might talk about a few current topical problematic faves and if you have any that you would like to discuss shout them out at this point yeah we forgot to say at the beginning we love like group chats 
on seriously, as I'm sure listeners will know. So if at any point you want to join in, please just raise your hand. And we can't see you that well because of the lights, but we'll try our best. But first, we have got, we've got a my- mystical bag of problematic faves <laughs> for some theatre after the, the live event. Yeah. Um, Caroline, do you want to pick out a problematic fave from my problematic bag? Okay. <laughs> just one. Okay. Who have you got? Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande. Oh, she's like such a gentle one to start us off yeah. with, isn't she? She hasn't done anything too terrible. Does everyone know why Ariana Grande is supposedly problematic? No? This is one of my favourite ones ever. <laughs> Ariana Grande in 2015, she um, licked a donut from a donut shop that, without buying the donut. And after she licked the donut, she said, I hate America. <laughs> and then she also said some like probably quite genuinely problematic things about how America's like just full of obese people and that we shouldn't you know that it's disgusting I think was her word disgusting uh, so Ariana Grande donut liquor not donut buyer unpatriotic and potentially fat phobic what do we, what do we make of this <laughs> well the internet response at the time was Amazing, especially viewing it from sort of across the Atlantic. Totally. Not least because the idea of a celebrity going into a shop, licking a donut, and then leaving is just inherently comic. Also, um, that it was like it's the most American baked good, isn't it? It's not yeah. like she licked a croissant and was like, "I hate America." She would have had to have said, "I hate France." Like, it was really good. It was really good. But then also the sort of patriotism dimension to it just caused certain quarters of American internet to catch fire in a way that was quite funny because yeah the idea that somehow she'd harmed a national symbol was yeah. very amusing. if she'd like licked a British treat and said I hate Britain everyone in Britain would, and she was a British pop star everyone over here would have been like us too babe it's shit isn't it always rains but in America they're obviously very like no we love America so I think among certain right wing circles and right wing circles already I think have this very weird relationship with Disney stars don't they where they like love to like put former Disney child stars on a pedestal and then like love to tear them down too so she was really caught up in all that basically um I think that that there was some good criticism of like oh weird like you know like child star very thin being very rude about like the obesity problem in America was probably quite weird but um I think I think I loved the donut licking I think it really enhanced my fave not my problematic element of Ariana Grande and now she's had a complete um, like transformation in the public eye, really, because of the concert where there was a terrorist attack in Manchester. Yeah, her response to that and the concert that she put together, and generally her attitude to it, I feel has probably wiped out. You any... just can't bring up the donut now. <laughs> After that, no. you'd look so petty, which is what we've just done. So we're really petty. Um, but yeah, I, I did. She did handle that stuff really well. I mean, obviously, that's a situation that she's like in no way responsible for or involved with. So it's quite hard to like even judge her response to it because why does she have to have a good mm. response to it necessarily because it's so such a terrible thing to happen but she was she was great and I loved that concert I thought it was wicked and she did do a really good job so on the whole we like Ariana Grande problematically <laughs> yeah we've just talked ourselves into her basically yeah, haven't we I think so um, okay do you she, want to pick one now okay I'm quite nervous well yeah because that was meant to be the light relief one <laughs> yeah that was, that was the good one so now everyone else is getting quite heavy I think from here on out Oh, guess which one I picked. I obviously would pick this one. Johnny Johnny Depp. Depp. Um, Do you want to explain to the people 
Yeah, some people may already know about my lifelong relationship with Johnny Depp. Um, I was... <laughs> my name's Anna, and I am a former Johnny Depp stan. Um, <laughs> I hope you're all going to hold my hand through this journey. Uh, yeah, I, when I was a teenager, I loved uh, all of his movies. I still have a real soft spot. Has anyone seen Benny and June? One person. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, it's like really, it's probably like mental health wise quite problematic now because it's about like this girl who's got mental health problems falling in love with this like weird eccentric guy played by who could it be but Johnny Depp in a top hat and a waistcoat. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't does, really take the hat off at any point, does he? he? Well, he does to throw it up in the air and catch it and do some tricks with it. But that's <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's like a Buster Keaton kind of figure. Uh, but yeah, he. So I still like that movie, kind of, um, and some of his other movies. But obviously, the journey of being a Johnny Depp stan in your teens to now has been a tumultuous one. I met him a bunch of times and irrelevant to the problematic conversation, but he was always super, super nice and very, very like charming and nice to this sort of 13 year old crying, like giving him things like, I really love you. And him be like, okay, that's really nice, thank you. Um, but I remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago, so before any of the stuff hit the papers about his private life, about um, there was an article in the hairpin that was just called like disappointments ranked and number four was like Johnny Depp and I felt it so hard at the time because his brand did kind of dissolve into this very weird very embarrassing thing quite like after like the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie or whatever when he was just like doing these extremely like dialed up performances that was just so weird um and just generally seeming like a... I don't know, I feel like that particular brand of masculinity just went out of fashion very quickly. Yeah, the, uh, the kind that wears waistcoats. Yeah, it's just not great, is it? Um, and then, obviously, he got divorced or broke up with his long-term partner, married Amber Heard, and then they had a very tumultuous relationship and then it ended with lots of uh, accusations, we should say, because we're being recorded, uh, of domestic abuse. Um, and it was all really horrible, really sad stuff. So Johnny Depp is a tricky one because it's like, for me, this might be a problematic thing to say. Uh, if he had shown a lot of remorse and had maybe talked a bit about, I think lots of Johnny Depp fans know that he had very serious alcohol addiction problems and so on. If he'd shown a bit of... That's not an excuse for domestic abuse, obviously, but it's just context. Uh, if he'd shown a lot of remorse for that stuff and like, you know, been honest about it, then maybe it would have been easier to kind of be like, this man has got serious problems and is, in, mm. you know, is looking for help for them. Uh, but that's not how it went down at all. <laughs> so that was really, yeah, really quite bad. And now... Do you, does one support Johnny Depp? Do you go to see Johnny Depp movies? Well, this is the question, isn't it? And this is what we kind of have to ask ourselves with all of these people that we've picked out, but also just generally, if this happens to you with someone that you are a fan of, can you enjoy their subsequent work? Can you enjoy their work that happened before? I feel like, you know? I, with Johnny Depp, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, please, uh, I feel like I can enjoy his old stuff mm. because... I don't know, I feel like that's a different person that I'm looking at. And that's obviously what I would say as, a, as an old Johnny Depp fan. This one really hurt me, I think. Um, but the newer stuff, that's where I have a, I don't know, a conflict. Because Johnny Depp starring in the biggest Harry Potter franchise currently going. What if you love Harry Potter and you feel like Harry Potter like saved your life? Are you allowed to go and see a Harry Potter film? Obviously, yes, you can do what you want. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. How does it, how does it make you guys feel? I don't know. Like, I... It's a, it's a tricky one for me, the Johnny Depp one. Very tricky. 
So he'll just have to go in the pile of moral conflict. <laughs> that most, uh, yeah, that, that most dramatic of, of piles. Uh, should we pick another one? Yeah, OK, I'll do it. If anyone has thoughts on Johnny Depp, do chip in. Don't leave me floundering up here. You, yeah, someone has a thought. Go on. Oh, I think there's a mic coming over to you, actually. Hang on a sec. There you go. Pressure's on. Please be good. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm joking. Um, not necessarily doing that, because I'm not really very invested in him, but I guess it's kind of easy... It's easier to say, like, Harry Potter film, he is one character. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't feel like a work of Johnny Depp. It feels like he is in the film. Whereas I feel like with Woody Allen or something, he is the work. And then all like a singer... <laughs> Who's that? What, you just it's, picked one out of the back. It's Woody Allen. Okay, Woody Allen. The, I think so, the classic. Let's start us off. Kick us off with your thoughts on Woody Allen. Oh, I don't know. Just that he. I, w- I would say more just that, like with a singer or with a director, where the work is them. You th- you think of Woody Allen films as being Woody Allen films, not uh, you know necessarily like a you know. He's not just one cog in the in the thing. Yeah, like it is him. Cog. So I find it much easier to separate and say. I wouldn't go and watch a Woody Allen film now. Whereas, a, you know, the Harry Potter film with Johnny Depp in it, like, you know. That's a really interesting point. So the idea being that there's a difference. You can draw a line for an actor that you can't draw for an auteur, say. Yeah, unless they, I guess unless they're carrying the film, I don't... I, I'm going to make myself unpopular by saying I, I don't go and watch Harry Potter films or care about them at all. So I don't know how much he's carrying that film or how much it's... You're going to go see it because of him, but... Are people going to see the Harry Potter film because of Johnny Depp? Probably not. They're going to go see it because they love Harry Potter. Mm. But if you're going to support the film and therefore further his career, even if the actor, even if it was an actor, if if you're like increasing their career and increasing their platform um, by going to see it because like a Tom Cruise film, even if the director is big, it's still a Tom Cruise film because it's Tom Cruise. Mm. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And it, but it's sad because I think. Johnny Depp's people and Johnny Depp. If if that if the second Fantastic Beast film does amazingly, they're still going to have an argument that points says like, look at this box office draw, Johnny Depp. Mm. Like it's true, he would still get gigs off still the back benefits, of it. He still but, benefits. But so don't is, go and watch Harry Potter. That's an easy choice for me. I don't like it, <laughs> but so I want to go. Yeah. I really want to go. But this is sort of what we're getting at here: is that these, like your, like Hermione Lee made you realise with Virginia Woolf. That, it's a choice only you can make I know. and lines that you can only draw for yourself but based I like on rules to follow. <laughs> Give me some, please. Yeah. Sure. Should we do Woody Allen? Shall we talk about Woody Allen in detail since he is the one that I've thank you very much for your contribution. Yes, Laura. thank you. Um, please keep him coming. Yes. Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, so I feel like always perennially back in the news because he's so prolific and keeps making stuff. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure everyone knows, Woody Allen was accused of uh, abusing his seven-year-old adopted daughter, or his adopted daughter when she was seven, uh, Dylan Farrow, and she wrote uh, a prominent op-ed in the New York Times, I mm. think, about three years ago, about that whole experience, um, which is extremely powerful and extremely upsetting to read. Um, uh, yeah, but he's always making new stuff and he's obviously very celebrated and very popular as a director, so people do still watch a lot of his movies. Um, I tweeted a little while ago, who hurt you the most by starring in a Woody Allen film? Uh, many people said Emma Stone. Interesting. I feel particularly hurt by Steve Carell because he seemed like a kind of like woke dad figure. 
But there's been a new one lately. There's a new one. So the latest flare-up has come via Kate Winslet, who is in the next Woody Allen film. I don't know what it's called. Uh, And she was asked in an interview with the New York Times just recently, because I think she's worked with both Woody Allen and Roman Polanski, Mm -hmm. another major director who has a not dissimilar accusation hanging around him. Um, And she was asked, "What, what do you think when you're considering taking a role in a, with a director like that. And she said, of course, one thinks about it. But then she went on to say, sorry, <coughs> I'm, you know, I, I don't really know, I didn't know Woody and I don't know the family. And in, in the end, I'm just an actor. Mm. They're the director. It's the classic, like, you know, no one really knows what goes on behind closed doors, which, which with something as uh, serious as this does seem a bit of a cop-out because... I think if there's a chance that that was going on behind closed doors, that's so bad. I think that's why those comments particularly really caused the whole thing to flare up all over again, mm. actually, is because of their their vagueness, really, right? Because I think whilst it would be very upsetting and disappointing if Kate Winslet were to say, yeah, I do think about it, but I don't think it matters, that would at least be a definite she's position that she's taken. Yeah. Uh, or if she were to expound her theory of how you can completely separate the art and the artist and one does not have any relevance to the Mm. other but that's not what she's doing Mm. which makes you think that she does care and she does think about it and it does worry her but she did it anyway because he's a prominent hollywood director and she wants to be in the movie and she wants to be in the movie the other thing that this the reason why woody allen's been back in the news lately has anyone seen this louis ck thing the uh he's like making a film called i it's called like i love you daddy and it's about like uh, his character has a daughter who like runs off with a, a film director, um, and, when, and she's underage. And the film director is very acclaimed, and it's. I mean, I think he has even admitted like, oh yeah, this is about Woody Allen, um, and yeah, oh, that makes me feel weird in my tummy. I don't like that at all. I love you, Daddy. Very grim, uh, and it's meant to be like morally ambiguous and. And it just uh, feels interesting to me, especially with the allegations around him as a figure as well as Woody Allen, uh, that, like, I don't know, that men still get to be the people making the art about this stuff that's allowed to be morally ambiguous and so on. It's just all a bit... I don't think that's a film I want to see. I don't think I Love You, Daddy is a film I want to see. Yeah, but I, I think Woody Allen is such an interesting conversation to have with people in the pub essentially because there are people for whom his work is an integral part of their identity you know mm-hmm. maybe they watched it growing up they recognize themselves in one of his characters in one of the characters that he because he's so often in his own films it's very as you were saying you really can't dissociate him totally from the film because his physical image is the thing um and then you find you grow up you learn about these accusations what does it say about you if you have to divest that from yourself? Mm. It's a really difficult thing to do. It can be a really upsetting thing to do. Uh, and is it even possible? Can you ever say, I will never watch another film of his ever again? Totally. Manhattan now means nothing to me. Or do you acknowledge yeah. the, the trickiness of it? The most interesting perspective that I ever heard on this was from um, a child abuse survivor. Um, who wrote an amazing piece for Rookie um, and her name's Bethany Rose Lamont and she writes about that experience of being, of experiencing child abuse and using Woody Allen films specifically as her like place of refuge and her safe space and they, she really like watched them on repeat she wrote 
like cards to friends where she like t- wrote out dialogue by hand it was like such a big part of her identity that she was a Woody Allen fan mm. um, and then she, obviously all of this stuff came out you know for the second or third time and she had to really confront it and she was just asking questions like can I keep watching these movies like is that okay will other survivors judge me will I get any enjoyment out of them seeing him and knowing that about him now and that obviously there were no right answers to it but it's not as easy as being like no one should be allowed to watch Woody Allen because in that case you want to be like yeah like if they still if they still give you something that's amazing you should still watch them like kind of it's almost like a weird fuck you to him that you're getting that out of out of them but depressing dark yeah and I think the very other, problematic very as problematic, problematic as it gets really and the other reason why I think it is such a eternal topic for debate as well. It's because of his status as such an important Hollywood man, mm. right? That people like Kate Winslet and other people in his industry find it really hard to forsake what you might get by working with him, but then also perhaps find it really hard to say, maybe I believe in these accusations, but maybe you are also a great director. Can I, can I accept that those two things can be true at the same time? Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't know, man. I don't know. Shall I pick the last one from yeah, the back? Yeah, let's do it. I can't. Who's it going to be? Is there even one in there? There is. Of course, it is T-Swizzle. Taylor Swift. I feel like next to Woody Allen, she's she, we've, we've got to give her a much easier ride, right? Like, yeah. She's not done anything super terrible, really. She's. I feel like her problem is one of ignorance at best and kind of like, I don't know, like uncaringness at worst. Yeah, or naive manipulation, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. What are the, the, the accusations levelled against Taylor Swift? I feel like she's charged of white feminism of silence on important matters, of, of playing a victim role, yeah. and of, like, hypocritical feminist branding. Those are the things that she's yeah, meant to of, have done. Uh, I feel like 2014-15, when there was... Well, it still happens, but there was definitely a strong vogue in celebrity profiles to 
ask women if they were feminists and if yeah, they, which I think is really unfair. It's really unfair. But if uh, really dumb, if they said yes or if they said no, it would then be yeah, a, the headline, be the headline, and be a whole news story. Yeah. And Taylor Swift kind of uh, she attracted attention by initially saying no and then later going oh no I didn't understand what that means and now I do and look I've done a music video with all my female friends in it which shows you that I am a feminist now yeah uh, and you know that kind of thing and then people were like why are all your friends white and she was like uh, <laughs> she didn't say anything I guess oh, all, all very wealthy yeah pop stars models um, yeah it's it's a funny one Taylor Swift isn't it because I feel like she has just been like raked over in a way that almost no, like this, the level of scrutiny on her is is immense. Mm. And I sometimes think, you know, like um, all the lyrics that are considered to be like very anti like other women uh, that she has. Pretty much every pop star has those, right? Like Katy Perry. No one ever gets annoyed with Katy Perry for all of her like you, you you PMS like a bitch or whatever, like those <laughs> kinds of lines. Yeah. Um, you change your mind like a girl changes clothes. Well, some of us girls have only got one outfit and we wear it every day. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I do feel like it's it's kind of extra harsh on her. But then I also sometimes read quotes from her in interviews or like see a music video by her and I'm like, oh my God. Well, there's also, uh, so if you happen to browse yourfaveisproblematic.tumblr.com, which is enjoyable you can lose several hours to it the taylor swift entry has seems to blame her for the madonna whore complex right in all of culture which i i'll be the first to admit there are some problematic things about taylor swift but i don't think that's her fault i don't think that started yeah. with her and it has all these stills and stuff from her music videos where say like in this part of the video here she is wearing a white dress looking very pure oh, now yeah. look she's wearing a red bikini which denotes evilness <laughs> here she plays um, the brunette aka a bitch yeah exactly and i feel like whilst yep she has used that imagery she also didn't invent it yeah so i don't think you can really crucify her for that we could talk about Taylor Swift forever. Does anyone have anything they want to say about burning points about Taylor Swift? Or problematic faves, oh, yes, yes, at the back there. Hello. Um, it's not specifically about Taylor Swift. Sorry, it sounds a bit chilly. Um But more just to play devil's advocate. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you love no, to hear uh-oh. that at a Q&A, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, obviously in law, if you do a crime, you do your time, and then your criminal record, depending on what it is, gets cleared. Do you think it's unfair for celebrities that it doesn't really tend to get cleared if they do something not necessarily illegal, but something which we find morally uncomfortable? So, like, if we take the example of Ariana and the donut, for instance. Yeah. You know, Hasn't she, she done her time She, she the licked donut. the donut. <laughs> she was pilloried for several weeks on the internet. We should have all moved on kind of thing. She took her punishment. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Or do you mean cases in which they've genuinely, like been to court so that's the other thing if if they have committed a crime and been to jail does that mean they can't be a celebrity ever again well they can just like go and work in tesco which is really what that means right when you have the right to like live your life again it doesn't mean like you have the right to like be chris brown Mm. it means you have the right to like i don't know for people not to like follow you around in the street and like be really nasty to you and presumably you could just like literally be like okay do you know what i actually really wanted to work in a library all my life and I can do that now I think the problem that people have is like why are we still like giving them so much money and so much acclaim and so much Mm. I don't know it's difficult because you know you want to believe in rehabilitation there's no it's no good society without rehabilitation but But I think you also can't erase that something's happened that's why criminal records are a thing you know this 
kind of it, yeah. it gets things get noted and registered and all that kind yeah. of thing. So you, I think it is possible if if you judge that someone has, like Anna said, been sufficiently remorseful for what they did and genuinely seems to want to learn from it, then by all means they continue your career, you continue to enjoy their output if you want to. But you don't have to forget that it ever happened. You don't have to pretend that nothing's changed. Forgive, don't forget. Yeah, exactly. Words, yeah. Right? yeah, put put yourself in a <laughs> give yourself the moral judge judgment position and totally. and hand down your sentence. Can, um, does anyone have any more suggestions of problematic faves that they want to talk about? Yes, with the lovely blonde curls. Um, shush. Okay. <laughs> Gotta have the mic. Um, this was one that upset me recently because I'm a huge Buffy fan. Um, oh. I don't know if you heard about Joss Whedon's yeah. everything with his wife writing that open letter about how he'd been really unfaithful all these years and not only that kind of used her as a prop in her words yeah um you know to kind of bolster his uh, you know this thing of a male feminist who's creating these wonderful feminist female characters like in doll's house oh, I, although i guess you can you can argue that maybe they were also problematic in some ways but um i don't know again it's one of those things where you kind of like do you divorce him from his work that you know I loved Buffy and I think it was it's great to have female role models kick-ass heroines and everything mm. so am I still allowed to enjoy Buffy? Oh I think most people would like say yes right but I'll yeah. hand over to Caroline because she's the real Buffy fan here. <laughs> yeah well if you if you heard last week's episode Anna caused great controversy by saying that Buffy was fine. <laughs> I haven't seen much Buffy it's the problem it's not that I have seen all of Buffy and concluded nah. It's just that I haven't really seen much better. Well, uh, I watched it all as a teenager and, like you, loved it very much. And I do find it very disappointing to learn these things about its creator. But I think kind of what we're driving at with all this chat about problematic faces is that they're decisions that only you can make. You sort of have to put yourself in the position of weighing up how much does the thing mean to you? How bad was what happened? Does it... Does it given that the show is completely in the past, there's no new episodes happening, how how closely do you align it? I'm Personally, I come down on the side of you take what you take from it. Um, whilst not denying what happened, you can still continue to, you know, if, if you found a great role model in it, even though it was created by a man who turned out to be quite shitty, yeah. that's still great that you found a role model. I think loads of people th- with Buffy seem to come down like we we wanted in a bit we're going to talk a little bit more about like now you've got a problematic fave what do you do with it um but I think with something like that it's definitely a case of like the thing being better than the person Mm. like things can really definitely like become more transcendent than the person that made them and you know Buffy was a big show loads of people working on it it was a really amazing thing that happened at an amazing time and that's that's special and magical and it doesn't all have to be because of Joss Whedon necessarily and even if it is who cares like he's just some some guy who had a good thought one time <laughs> and it became great um, was there there's another hand up I think somewhere behind you or did I imagine that yeah Hello. Uh, Hello. Sorry. Wow, that's really loud. Um, it's actually quite um, similar to yours. It's with H.P. Lovecraft, the oh, fantasy yeah? writer, and I love his work. I love everything about it. I love how amazing it's. He's a really good writer, but 
he, he does a lot of racist allegations in his short stories and you know a lot of people are saying yeah he was a man of his time you know right. which I think is completely silly really so and I saw and he was definitely not a like he was just like straight racist and it was it's really shocking <laughs> in, in his short stories yeah but like he's everywhere when you like horror and thriller or fantasy you can't really not read what he's doing so we've like such an iconic figure like can you ever like try not to think about it or try to take you know like, I mean we're still all the time at the back of your mind right yeah I, mean, I don't know that's hard that's a real hard one definitely what the like the Tennyson Gladstone thing uh, so the, the thing that Tennyson apparently kept saying at this dinner party was actually N-words are tigers over and over again uh, which is obviously like a pretty like even you know making allowances for the time and whatever that's a yeah. hmm. it's a pretty shocking thing to say and the thing that made me think well it is a really bad thing to say because it's like here's this politician being like whoa you can't say this like yeah. also well that's the, the thing the, con- the context shows you that it wasn't okay at yeah, the time exactly right? Um, so it, people I think especially with like older stuff people are really keen to be like oh no everyone thought that way mm. and sometimes you have to do a little bit of research to be like did did everyone think this way or did like a certain like mm. section of like white upper class society mm. think mm. think this way and is that basically what we're saying here um, mm. but you know I don't know if you want to read H.P. Lovecraft then like do it and and think about it and if you if if it's because you like sci-fi and you think that everyone's always saying you have to read him then build your own canon ignore them you don't have to i also think it's perfectly possible to accept that bad things can be influential Mm. just as good things can be and that just because someone's you know like i really like the podcast um welcome to night vale for instance which has strong lovecraftian overtones Mm. right I think they've made something really brilliant and progressive from that. So I think it's perfectly possible to enjoy the influence without unequivocally loving the originator of the trope. So totally. Any any more faves? Problematic ones? Yes. Yeah. I was just um, in the with the Oscars with Casey Affleck in the Oscars Uh, and his. Controversial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I wasn't sure if I was totally alone. It was all news to me, the kind of allegations and Brie Larson's face when she had to hand him the award. And there yeah, was a lot was of great. interesting commentary on that. And I kind of think that was quite an interesting one because the film I thought was wonderful, really moving. And it was the celebration of him winning the award as an actor and kind of taking him out of the project and looking at him as an individual that made it feel much more problematic. And there was a lot of pieces saying the art is way bigger than the artist. And if you think of the film and celebrate the film, if it had won big Best Picture, that would have been very different from him winning Best Actor. And I thought that was kind of with the Johnny Depp thing and Harry Potter. It, if you merge them into these big movies, it changes narrative slightly mm. and maybe there is a case like our friend at the back was saying earlier that there's um if say we do i actually didn't see that film big lapse on my part but if we do just completely write off that film because of him we're kind of diminishing the work that all the other hundreds of people who worked on the film put into it and as you say made it a really great thing yeah i guess there's an argument that that makes if that happens then those casting decisions maybe don't get made in the Mm. first place but yeah I agree with you there's something specifically weird about that one and I saw I didn't see Manchester by the Sea um, but I saw 
a ghost story, which he plays the, the ghost under the sheet. And so a ghost story is a movie about a ghost in a sort of Halloween-like sheet, and he plays the ghost in that. And I got I went to a press screening, and I got the big press pack full of like all the info that you normally get, and it was very much like. Academy Award winner Casey Affleck, amazing feat of acting under a sheet. Like, no, no, it was. All, I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, but it was very, very, yeah, celebrating him, all his achievements, and he'd worked with the director before in this very raw movie and blah blah blah. He, he specifically seems to get cast in a certain role that's kind of like protective male who also mm. has great guilt about the way he treats women, and doesn't that make him complex? He goes in the bad pile, definitely. <laughs> Any more, or should we... Yeah, one more? Thank you. I think there's a big kind of engine of being problematic in Hollywood, which is Scientology. And how do you uh, feel when you find out one of your favourite stars is a Scientologist? That's a great question. This is very real to me. This happened quite recently with Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Which I'm sure many people, you know, I love the work of Elizabeth Moss, loved her in The West Wing, then in Mad Men, in The Hammer's Tale, in uh, Top of the Lake, everything. She's, she's a queen of TV, she's fantastic. And then just recently, I think, she was asked about it in an interview, wasn't she? And she kind of shut down the question, saying, like, it's not relevant, it's, you know, it's not. Classic Scientology. Classic Scientologist <laughs> move. Um, and it does, it does make me feel differently about her because. It's, it's an order of thought that I have no time for. I think it's, I have to diminish my respect for anyone who wants to own that and be part of that. It comes back to that idea of remorse, doesn't it? That if, if someone's still openly saying, yeah, I'm part of this and I'm fine with that. I think, again, it's one of those things that came up with the Elizabeth Moss one because it started to bleed into her brand a little bit because mm. her brand was like actress who plays person in like patriarchal, weird... Uh, microcosmic society uh, and then like they were like isn't it weird that this this leading actress in the like dystopian cult TV series is like also in a weird cult and then people were like oh yeah this is weird we should ask her about it how she feels about it and then she like mm. didn't want to talk about it there was a similar in, but smaller fury a couple of years ago when Orange is the New Black first got a lot of critical attention I don't know her name but the actor who plays Alex Voss mm. in that is also a practicing Scientologist and that caused a lot of conflicts for interviewers and stuff because you know she's a really um, kind of badass feminist character in many ways Uh, and yeah to have her kind of say yeah I don't see how that conflicts at all with being a Scientologist you sort of have to say well well, I disagree I have to say I disagree Mm. interesting Hmm. great question thank you should we move on or does anyone have a burning final problematic faith we'll move on okay Caroline, you've, now you've got a problematic faith. <laughs> what do you do with your problematic faith? How do you treat them? How do you well, change your relationship with them? I wrote down a few things in response to this. And the, fir- the first one I wrote down was be informed. I know that sounds dumb, but I think there is sometimes a tendency when you maybe out the corner of your eye glimpse something you don't quite like about someone that you're a big fan of and you go, nope, can't see it, can't see it not involved me through all my teens yeah <laughs> exactly i think you can't you can't latch onto a tiny piece of information and allow it to poison your whole interest in someone but at the same time you can't pretend it's not there so the best thing you can do is be completely informed about it read widely about the context as far as possible you know read as long as it's not upsetting yeah as long as it's not upsetting, upsetting for you but if you can you know read dylan farrow's own account 
of what happened yeah. to her. Don't read secondhand reports of it or just listen to... We were to, talking about you know, that earlier, weren't we? Because and it's terrible to say that someone's powerful writing would make you believe them more in this kind of case, and that's not what we're trying to say. But if you've read that article, it is, it is really impossible to get back on board mm. with Woody Allen, I think, because the way she's written it with that kind of like what's your favourite Woody Allen movie is how she opens it and then she asks you it again at the end and you're like none of them oh my god this is awful um, you know yeah I completely agree sometimes you will read something that changes your mind and even if it was really unpleasant to read you think I'm glad that I read that I'm really glad that I read it um, I agree be informed be informed and but also that that works both ways because you can sometimes have and this feeds into a discussion we had on a previous episode of the podcast about your favourite problematic culture, which is a slightly different sort of subset of mm. more internet memeology, really, isn't it? Yeah. Where people will enter and try maybe try and shut down a discussion of a particular person by saying, yeah, but your favourite problematic, so no further discussion of them or their work. Mm. That if someone tries to do that to you with an inaccurate or ill-informed reading of something that's happened, you want to be able to say... But hang on, no, that isn't exactly how it happened. Therefore, I feel justified in my continuing interest in this person's work. Totally. So, yeah, be informed. That's a good one. I've written, also written some notes <laughs> on my notes. Um, I've put, decide for yourself how much this affects your relationship with their work. Mm. Um, this is, again, more of that art from artist stuff. Like, is it like a Woody Allen movie where you feel like, ooh, gross, this really changes the power dynamics at play in this work or just reveals to me the existing gross ones um, in, like, more starkly? You know, if you if if it's possible to, like you say, maybe with Fantastic Beasts, the franchise, not not have those kind of connotations. Maybe it's fine to carry on watching it, and maybe it's fine to carry on supporting that franchise. I also have a, um, a quote here from Tavi Gevinson, one of my favourite people, uh, from Twitter, and it says, "Jerks can make transcendent art. I take comfort in accounting for the factors for factors like the mystery of the creative process, taking away credit, lol." Uh, which is, I think, what we were talking about with Joss Whedon and people like that. When something, sometimes you watch something or read something, or you know, you go to the theatre, whatever, and you have such a crazy, like, life-changing experience mm. that it actually can't be thanks to one person. I remember this is really random, but I went to um, <laughs> I went to this weird socialist commune in France. Uh, it's like not still going, but like it was it's from the 1800s, and it's like it was that beautiful theatre. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. There's like they have instead of a church in this society, they had a theatre, and I, that was like the centre of the town where they all lived, and it was like the centre of life, and it was like literally their religion and their church was this theatre where they would like put on little plays for the harvest and whatever. Um, and I was I like went into it and was like I have never felt so understood. The theatre is the church that's how it works for me in my life um which sounds like glib and pretentious and whatever but i think for a lot of people that kind of is the case like if they're going through a really like traumatic time in their life they might not be religious but they might listen to their favorite band like 60 million times and cry and then feel something um so if that's you and buffy is that for you that's cool that's fine Mm. like joss whedon cannot like just like the Pope cannot take credit for everyone's like great um, transformative Catholic, I don't know, epiphanies, Joss Whedon can't can't, can't take credit yeah, for that. You can believe in the weird forces without believing in the patriarchal structures. And behind you can them. take that a bit further as well, and not to get all into like critical theory or whatever. But you can say that I helped create that. You know, my response. That's what David Bowie would say. Yeah, is David Bowie was all about that. Wasn't yeah, he? he was just like. Well, 
art doesn't exist without two people, the person who's doing it and the person who's watching it. Yeah, so I think you can, you can say, I had in, in watching this thing and feeling like I did, I contributed something. It's not all about them. Totally. Yeah. And that's fandom. Yes. Um, yeah. So also one question I had was, what if the, the thing or the fandom is so tied up with that person's identity? So I feel like taking an unproblematic faith as our starting point, Rihanna, if Rihanna, God forbid, ever did anything really terrible, which she wouldn't because she's Rihanna, um, <laughs> you would not... like Rih- The part of loving Rihanna is loving Rihanna as a person. Like Everyone loves Rihanna's music, sure, but like... It's also about her attitude and her, her being and her fashion and everything to do with her. Same with Beyonce, like, like a lot of these figures. Um, I, I've always been a big Kanye West fan. Kanye West has done so many problematic things. He's like misogynist, anti-black women, homophobic. Like, So can I still like Kanye West? Because regardless of like listening to his music... I remember reading a great um, Heather Havrileski, I'm sure some people here read Heather Havrileski or Ask Polly at The Cut and The All. I wrote a great column about, like, if you're feeling, um, I think the word was tepid, if you're, like, keep making tepid choices and seeking tepid men in your life, is there anything worse? Um, Then you should think, what would Kanye do? Um, Which I guess is a phrase that originally comes from what would Jesus do, right? And as much as Kanye would like to be Jesus, he's not. Like, you can't love all his life choices. So is it okay to still think, (laughs) what would Kanye do? And I think, yeah, if there's something about that person that speaks to you when you're feeling... Sorry, my mic. When you're feeling tepid or, like, when you're feeling, like, unable to be bold and make bold choices, it's still kind of fine to be like, well, what would Kanye do? that doesn't involve tweeting something homophobic. There's You're allowed to cherry pick. You're a human who can make choices. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Basically. Um, which feeds into something else that I put down that you can, a strategy you can deploy for this is remember that you get to decide for yourself. It can, especially if the internet suddenly burst into flames over one particular incident. Um, I was telling you about, I've been listening to this podcast recently called Dissect, which on it, in its second season is... Um, focusing exclusively on one Kanye West album and looking at him and his life and his work and stuff. And it starts with the 2009 VMAs incident, Kanye interrupting Taylor Swift. So, so much has changed since then. I know, it feels like ancient history. I actually watched, went and watched the clip and I was like, wow, this is a million years ago. But the point that the podcaster was making was that at the time, so much has happened since then that we feel kind of slightly differently about that event. Mm. But at the time... He was universally pilloried for it. Yeah, the, the president the, said he was a jackass. Yeah, like, the nation and the world united to say, you did a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and that, so if you get, you know, if you are a Kanye West fan in that situation, you get caught up in this massive backlash mm. against it can be easy to forget that you do still have a choice, that you do still have your own critical faculties, that you can still analyse for yourself, and that you don't have to... You can go against the prevailing yeah. voice on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, so important. I think something, this is something we touched on in the Your Favours problematic segment of our, of our podcast, but um, killing your idols is so important, right? Mm. And I'm someone who has a very obsessive personality and I've been obsessed with so many celebrities and I'm really grateful for those experiences of being obsessed with celebrities. But I think there's a way that you can, like, kill your idols and, like, literally dissect them like a frog and think, like, what are the parts of this person that I like and value and what do they say about either the person I am or the person I want to be or the things in life that I value? Is it Kanye's, like, 
boldness is that the bit of the frog that I like like and like have a have a look at it and then like put those gross froggy bits in your pockets <laughs> this is a great <laughs> metaphor I'm really, really enjoying it. it and then just like take it with you on the journey of life and like have learned something about yourself via these people because that's essentially what they are right celebrities are just like a little doll's house for us to be like well I think Taylor Smith's the goody here and for people to be like no she's the baddie and then you have to be like oh okay well maybe actually I'm like really protective and like defensive about things to do with white feminism because I'm white and then you learn something about yourself um, and yeah so I think that's that's fine we're all just using these people as toys so yeah if you're allowed to dissect the frog and take bits of the frog with you and leave the rest of the frog <laughs> on the street to die that's fine I hope the frog was already dead yeah. before you started cutting it out that's a very different metaphor uh, yeah <laughs> and the, the other question I have which hopefully people will be able to help me with is uh, is unproblematic fave even a thing yeah, is there such thing as the unproblematic fave? Or is that just, like, the or, whirring of the PR machine that you're seeing? And does it actually mean that this person's never been vulnerable or open with their audience in their life? Hmm. Who knows? Or are all faves just waiting to become problematic? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is a problematic fave just a fave? Is that what this is? Yeah. Uh, I feel like, yeah, it's time for some more questions, comments. That was kind of rambling, agony aunt, very strange section called your fave was problematic now <laughs> what um so yeah if anyone has any questions or comments or uh suggestions of faves that are truly unproblematic please bring them to the table laura who inspired this entire thing thank you laura um i have a suggestion um for how you deal with problematic faves and it's adjust expectations i think with people like johnny depp and casey affleck obviously those allegations are disgusting and i personally wouldn't want to engage with their work afterwards though it's a personal choice but with people like taylor swift and ariana grande and maybe even lena dunham they have not committed any major infractions they have committed the infraction of dislikability as women and yeah. I think when you're faced with a, with a figure like that it's important to look at yourself and think why do we expect women especially because I feel like somebody like Lena Dunham gets it in the neck more than Johnny Depp and she to my knowledge hasn't beaten up an ex-partner allegedly mm. um, but yeah why do we expect those things from people it's like with the new Taylor Swift single everybody's um, nobody really likes it because it's, everyone's saying like, oh it's so bitchy she's just airing all these beefs and stuff but personally as a sometimes vindictive also 28 year old woman I'm like <laughs> I'm grateful for you like airing that nasty part of my personality that I meant to keep hidden. Totally. But, yeah. I think, yeah, the Lena Dunham point is such a good one as well, that when you stop and think, what has Lena Dunham ever done to hurt you? Why? She can be a bit obnoxious, yeah. and I agree, um, but that's no... That's no um, it's not really hurting anyone, is yeah. it, being obnoxious? And I do think some of the allegations about Lena Dunham are so upsetting and mean. Yeah. Um, and it is possible to be justly critical of her work and the choices that she makes about it without it being all about her and her personality and her personality then being unacceptable henceforth totally yeah yeah i think that's a really good point and of with anything in life don't we expect more from women young yeah. women and i think it feeds into a larger question of why do we want our celebrities to be like political spokespeople that's kind of weird in the first place like i guess someone like lena dunham is a particular figure because she made this art that everyone was like everyone puts so much onto it of it being like this is the new um aware voice of the generation this is what young women are like in their early 20s when 
and that was really more the media around the show mm. than than Lena Dunham. Well, herself. she satirised it, didn't she, in in the first episode so famously. Hannah Hoffer says, I'm, I'm, "I'm the voice of the generation. I'm the voice of a generation." Yeah. Like, she put that in there for a reason. And I think actually, Lena Dunham tackled the, the topic of problematic faves very well in the last season of Girls. If you've seen the episode where she like goes to a writer's house and um, she's written like a blog about him about all these like um, allegations about him taking advantage of young fans. Um, and then she goes to his house and he tries to like make her see his perspective a bit and there's a bit in the episode where you're like Ooh, where's this going is this going to be like a defense of like men who've had these allegations thrown against them and then it kind of switches gears again it's a really it's a really good episode of tv about that kind of thing um but yeah i definitely agree i do think we expect more of women um and i and i think it would be again it's like killing your idols isn't it we need to free ourselves of these ideas that that they have to hold up like these people aren't experts in like i don't know feminism or in politics or in like what society needs to function properly so why do we why do people go into these yeah. things and ask them questions like I, yeah you do get the sense that there's a lot of like so really enjoyed um your turn in cinderella 2 uh what do you think the solution is to systemic racism <laughs> they're like what <laughs> i don't know um yeah definitely yeah. lower our bars Another question. Um, yeah, I agree we should lower our bars, and I agree that um, people like Nina Dunham do probably, or I'm not sure about Nina Dunham, but like, I, I do wonder whether someone like Nina Dunham or Taylor Swift, who do present themselves as having an opinion, like Nina Dunham is not someone who shies away from political topics. She writes essays about them. She puts it into her work, whereas Ariana Grande has never pretended to be a feminist or a... A donut buyer. A donut. She has never spoken about her political issues about donuts, so why are we... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there could there should be a separation between people who um, talk on these topics and should have debate, like, they should be debated with because they are presenting an opinion. Nina Dunham, like, presents herself as a feminist... And not everyone should be asked and demanded of to be woke and to be a feminist. But Taylor Swift also, I think, you know, uses feminism and uses certain kind of things and tries to kind of be a figure. So maybe she should have... So for you, it's when there's hypocrisy. There's some it's sort not of necessarily like... hypocrisy. I don't think it's about being hypocritical. I think it's just that if... I just think not everyone should have to be a political figure. But mm. if you're going to talk about political and societal issues then there should be then it should be allowed to kind of question them not necessarily in such a like piling on way and not necessarily in a like well you're not allowed to speak about it because you were hypocritical that one time like everyone Mm. can make mistakes and everyone can be vulnerable and everyone can learn and say the wrong thing sometimes but it's just more that I think that Ariana Grande shouldn't be expected to be you know the say it shouldn't be expected to have the same level of like engagement in these topics as someone who has does that make sense? Yeah, it does yeah. make sense. It does make sense. I think sort of what you're saying is you, you've got to play the person on the field that they actually play on, if you know what I mean. You, yeah, so Lena Dunham writes about feminism. It's fair to, you know, I don't want to say politely, but you know what I mean, in a, in a, in a civil fashion, engage with her on that topic. But if, yeah. Maybe there's a, a point where you're such a fave that you're no longer problematic. You're just a fave, even if you've done problematic things. Okay, is that much. everyone then? Thank you so much for coming. Um, 
thank if you, you for listening I, to you us. seem to all already listen so thank yeah thank you rather than please at the end of our quizzes i'm always like everyone's had like four pints and i'm like also listen to seriously and like nobody cares <laughs> <laughs> gotta learn to do that at the beginning um, but yeah thank you so much for listening and coming and enjoy the pod festival loads of cool people here have a great time thank you very much thank you. 